This morning I'd like to uh, first reflect on something we were looking at in the men's meeting, uh, which was that when Jesus' time of ministry here on the earth, physical ministry here on the earth, was just about done. After he had died and rose from the dead, he was about to ascend into heaven. And as he was about to ascend into heaven, his disciples asked him, Is this the time? Is the kingdom of God going to be set up now in Jerusalem here? And Jesus' answer was, It's not given to you to know the, the day or the hour that God has appointed in his own care. In his own keeping. He said. But he said. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. In Judah and Samaria. Jerusalem. To the ends of the earth. And so he told them to wait in Jerusalem till they receive power from on high. Jesus had given them the great commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. But he didn't just send them out. He said, there's something you need first. You need to wait in Jerusalem to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, as we were talking on Thursday or Wednesday, I'd like to continue today to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As many of you know, I spent some time in Pentecostal churches. My, as a young Christian, I was married in one. But what I found was the power of the Holy Spirit was focused and narrowed on a couple of spirit, certain fascinating spiritual gifts. Not that that's not power, the power of the Holy Spirit, because it is a gift to the Holy Spirit. But Jesus what he was talking about, the power of the Holy Spirit, was much more broad than just certain spiritual gifts, certain miraculous spiritual gifts. It was much broader than that. And that's what we want to think about today. Where Jesus said, you have not received a spirit of fear, but of power and love, and self-control or sound mind. Well, then why are so many Christians afraid? Why are so many Christians anxious and fearful and bound like a ball and chain to fear and worry? It's because they're not allowing the Spirit to lead them to that place of peace. The Spirit of God is leading us to that calm place of peace. The Bible says those who believe enter God's rest. The book of Hebrews. 
The spirit that God put in us is not a spirit of fear. Not the fear of man. Not the fear of circumstances. Not the fear of temptations. The fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. But not the fear of our problems or our circumstances or the fear of what man can do to us. Say, why do I have all that stuff in me? Why am I struggling with all this stuff then? We're struggling against our human nature. But if we follow and are be led by the Spirit, we find freedom. Because the Galatians chapter 5 says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The word liberty means freedom. We're free. Jesus said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Free for real. Thank you, Jesus. Why do we fear death? The Bible says that Jesus came to deliver us from him who, who, who brought and bound us in the fear of death. That is the devil. Why do people fear death? Who are, who are Christians? You see that Paul didn't fear death. We read it earlier. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. And it's better for us. It's better for me to be with the Lord. Are we walking in that kind of liberty today? That kind of freedom that the world does not possess and does not understand. People who know what we believe, some of them think we're fools for believing such things. But we know better. It's truth. The truth of God. A spirit not of fear, but a spirit of love. And we'll go into this a little more later. But when it says the spirit of love, as we were talking about last week from John 15, he's not talking about romantic love. He's not talking about the kind of love, if you do good for me, I'll do good for you. If you love me, I'll love you. We love those who love us. Not that kind of love. But loving those who do evil to us. Loving those who use us. Loving those who curse us. Who speak evil of us. The Spirit of God has shed that love abroad in our hearts. And if we're not experiencing it, if we're not enjoying that, we're not living that, if we don't have that joy in us, missing it. We're not following the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's in us if we're in Christ. And so... These are the kind of realities, spiritual realities, that should be a part, should be not just be a part, should be our life. Power of love, not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power. power to do fancy miracles, maybe for some. You know, earth-shattering miracles, it's been done in the past. Power that when we pray, 
people will recover. Power that when we pray, God will answer us. Power that when we're tempted, we can say, oh no. And we can stand up against temptation and lust that's, that's rotting this world around us. Makes the whole world have a, a, bad, a bad smell to it. Indecency, immorality, anger, hatred, racism, you name it. Politicians speaking evil of one another to, for their advantage, try to get an advantage. Corruption in government, corruption in business, corruption in the workplace. It's all around us. The days of, the days of Noah, the days of, the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. But we can live holy and separate and undefiled in this present age. And that's what we're called to. The power to control our bodies. When it says, therefore, honor God in your body, and we belong to Him, we've been given a spirit that gives us power to control ourselves. The power to say no to evil. The power to walk in the spirit. And not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. In Galatians 5 it says, Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its evil desires, its lusts. Those who are Christ, that's one of the earmarks of those who are Christ. That we have crucified the flesh with its evil desire, with its lusts, and its evil affections and worldly affections, and its greed and its corruption. So in John 14, Jesus says these words. John 14, 26. the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father shall send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit will be a teacher to us, if we're willing to listen, as we talked about last week, if we're in a place where we can hear, he'll teach us. And as he says in another place in John, that he'll be our guide to guide us into all truth. He is our mentor. He is our guide. He is our teacher. There is people that God will use in our lives to strengthen us, to teach, and, and through, through his spirit. But we must look to the Holy Spirit. Look into his word and let God speak to us and teach us. Not just reading, but let God teach us. Lord, teach me what you're saying here. What is it you're saying here? As we look into his word because it's alive and powerful. 
He will teach us. And He will remind us. He'll be a reminder. One, one preacher in, in way past, I heard him, he, he preached a sermon and it's called The Hound of Heaven. Someone is just constantly like, like a hound dog when he is on a, on a trail of something. He just doesn't give up. He just keeps on that trail and keeps on that trail and keeps on that trail. The Holy Spirit won't give up on us either. He will just keep on after us to remind us of everything that Jesus taught us. Everything that Jesus said. Everything we've read in his word. Just continue to bring it up and bring it up. Well, I'm not experiencing that. And again, it's all about where we're at. If we're in a place to hear. If we have ears to hear, hear and eyes to see. As Jesus said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The Spirit is speaking to us. Very definitely speaking to us. Speaking to our hearts. Bringing things into our minds. But are we on the same channel? Are we in a place to hear? And then Jesus says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Not a spirit of fear. Let not your heart be troubled. And that's a decision. Because he says it to us. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. And that means we have to make a decision to either walk on, walk on water or be afraid. And that's a daily decision, an hourly decision, a moment-by-moment -moment decision. Well, sometimes I'm this way, sometimes I'm that way. Well, the object is, is to be all this way and not that way. To just... Be like, not be like Peter, just walk on water for a little while and then keep on sinking, Lord. Have to keep on picking us up, but just to continue on that water and continue walking by faith and continue trusting God and have that, not that up and down and roller coaster experience as a Christian, but to be on that, on that higher plane and staying on that higher plane. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Soundness of mind. Peace in the heart. The Bible talks about those who trust in God. That they'll lay down their head. And their sleep shall be sweet. Peace in the heart. In the mind and the soul. That's what we get. And we're walking in the Spirit. We're following the leading of the Spirit. Because He gives it to us. But we don't always walk in it. We all know that. For real. Mm -hmm. We don't always walk in it. Mm -hmm. When we don't walk in it, you know, we get tightness in our chest. <laughs> Breathe a little harder. You know, sometimes we get the sweats. Sometimes we're tossing and turning in bed. 
Her eyes are wide awake in the middle of the night. You know how it feels when you're in no peace. You all deal with it. So Jesus referred to him as the spirit of truth and a helper. Someone he would send to help us. He said he would not leave us like orphans. But he would send a helper to help us. That would be with us forever. He will guide us and remind us. Guide us into all truth. So, <clears throat> with these thoughts in mind, I'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 5. And as we're turning there, Jesus also referred to the Holy Spirit as a comforter. When you think of a comforter, it's someone who gives you comfort when you're troubled, when you're sad, when you're in mourning, when you're heartbroken. And he's all that. A comfort to our soul from fear, anxiety, and heartbreak and everything else. We experience all of this through believing it. The Christian experience is according to what we believe. If we don't believe very much, we won't experience very much. But we all can sense one thing. There's more. There's Amen. more than we're experiencing. Thank you. There's more to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's more to experience, more, more like Jesus, the song that we sing. More like Jesus I would be. More about Jesus I would know. There's more. And then Jesus says in verse 6, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do we feel that hunger in our soul? To know more of Him. To experience more of Him. Maybe we don't believe it. Maybe we don't believe there's more. Just reading your Bible, throwing up our prayer requests, going to work, living our day, going home, eating dinner, reading a few chapters or chapter, praying again, and just the routine. Is that all there is? There's not. There's more than that seemingly lifeless routine. There's more of Jesus to experience. It says, do not be filled with wine. In Ephesians chapter 5. But be filled with the Spirit. Not to be satisfied with where you are. Jesus says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
and out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, speaking of the flow of the Holy Spirit. And we have to ask ourselves a question again. Am I experiencing rivers or just a little creek, a little trickle, a little stream of living water? Because Jesus says there are rivers, and if they, he says there is a river, then there's a river. If there's a river, and he says, if you're thirsty, if you want more, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being, there will be this flow, this river flowing out. Amen. Several places in the book of Acts it says, And they were filled with the Spirit. So the question is, why is Paul telling the Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit? In chapter 1 of Ephesians he says, you were, when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He said, he talks about all their love in the Spirit and everything else. But then when you get to chapter 5, he says to the same people, these same brothers and sisters, do not be filled with wine, which is excessive, but be filled with the Spirit. A message to all Christians for everyday life. Come to Jesus and drink. Let him come to me, he says, and drink. Says, now some might say, well, that's ridiculous. We can't see Jesus. He's not here physically. We don't see that. How can we come to Jesus? We come to Jesus in prayer. We come to Jesus when, and to look for him to speak to us in his word. We come to him in worship to hear from him. Talking about last week. He's speaking while we listen. And what he is saying is, come to me and drink. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. How much will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask him for more. Come to him for more. More experience with him. Be filled with the spirits, with the Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. Walk in the love of Jesus. Come to Him. Jesus says, If you would ask, I will give you living water. That if someone drinks, he will never thirst again. That thirst He was talking about was not physical thirst. He was talking about the thirst of the soul. Dryness in the soul. We talk about when our experience with as a Christian becomes dry. If, we, if our, our Christian experience is dry, we need a drink. We need a river. A river of living water. Well, Jesus, and, and the lady said to him, Well, give me that water. Don't have to come to this well anymore. And Jesus said, This is not the water I speak of. A well of water which will spring up into life, eternal life. Holy Spirit. 
And we come to Jesus and give us that more. Give us more, Lord. Let my experience in you grow. And let your, the anointing of your spirit fall upon me. Paul, we sang earlier today, I believe it was today. Breathe on me, breath of God. Didn't we sing that today? Yeah. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill with me life a minute. Again. More of you. More of Jesus. I will know. More of getting to know him. More. The Holy Spirit has been given to us for this purpose. A lot of us, perhaps our experience is such that we really have a lot of untapped potential in our spiritual life. It's untapped because not really digging in and striving for more. More of Him. Not coming to Him looking for that drink. We do that by faith because He said it. I didn't say it. He said it. Jesus said that. Let Him come to me and drink. And now it's going to flow this river. Not a physical river. It says He was speaking of the Holy Spirit. A flow of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. This spiritual dynamic, sometimes we really overlook and neglect. Looks like an old farm that hasn't been farmed in 20 years. Nothing but weeds and a lot of, a lot of untapped potential. There's a fertile field not being tapped into. says one of the prophets of the Old Testament break up the fallow ground that we might bring forth a harvest of righteousness ground that isn't being used not being put to work there's more when you think about a river there's always fresh, fresh water flowing into a river never the same water in that, in that bed it's always fresh water, but it's always going downstream. It's always pouring out into others. And so I think that's that's the thing. The Lord's revealed to me too. Is there is there a go? Is there uh, to participate in the nature of God? We must participate in love, which is self-giving, which is sacrifice. And so I think sometimes we ask for filling of the Spirit. Is God going to fill us to sit around in our living rooms and read our Bible? You know, there's a purpose in the filling. But there also must be that willingness to go. I mean, there will be. He leads us to do that, but a lot more than that. Yeah. And there's a good point about the river is, does not get stagnant. Like a pond does. Ponds, like, the water just sits there and gets uh, algae on it or all other stuff and gets, you know, nasty. But, uh,. Living water flows and it spills out from us, pours out over the dam, and you know, and so we can pour into other people's lives. You know, that's given it not just for us to just enjoy our our relationship with God, but also to be a light uh, to others. Am I? 
It says in verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You know, this is all part of the new life in Christ. The new creation we talked about earlier. It changed heart, it changed the life. And that should be our Christian experience. That we should be experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in our life. In verse 13 it says, You are the salt of the earth, but the salt loses its flavor. How shall it be seasoned? Is it good for nothing? But be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp, put it under a basket, and a lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. All your marks will change life. Salt of the earth, light of the world. Different, but a light shining. We we're just talking about the river flowing. That river becomes noticeable to others, becomes a light to others. And we shouldn't hide it. We're too busy to anything. It says, let your light so shine before men. That they see you living like a Christian. They may see you living the life of a Christian. Your good works. The works of the life, the works in the life of Christ. They see that. And it's noticeable. And they may glorify your Father. Go to verse thirty eight. heard that it was said, <coughs> an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whatever strikes you on the right cheek, turn also the other side. If anyone wants you to sue you and take away your cloak, take your coat, take away and have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and for him who wants to borrow, whom you do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. 
And if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brothers only, what do you have more than others? Don't the tax collectors do that? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The perfection of Christ is our goal. If you have no target, then you're not going to hit it. And so, Jesus teaches some very controversial things here. And they're controversial because our flesh doesn't like it, our human nature doesn't like it. It goes against everything that is our natural instincts for survival and what makes sense to us naturally. To love those who don't love us. To do good to those who do evil to us. To love our enemies. Enemies can be pretty wicked, pretty harsh and severe. To walk in love towards them. Again, Jesus didn't leave us as orphans. He's given us his spirit for the purpose of doing that. But yet, instead of embracing these things, many will say, well, and then the excuses begin. And you hear the tap dancing begin. And you begin hearing the violin playing. As they begin to make excuse after excuse after what we're reading here, we're not really reading. That Jesus didn't really mean that. Oh, yeah, he did. And it's said in plain language. Yes, he did. So I don't know if I could do that. Well, at the end of this sermon, Jesus says, this is building your house on the rock. Including this. How can I do good to those who are doing, I, you know, I don't feel like it. Well, this is why he gives us his spirit. To live the life of Jesus. The spirit of Christ is living in us. To live this kind of way. And so, if he's given us his spirit to live this way, it's a decision whether we walk in our own will or the will of God. Because if we're willing to walk in the will of God, he's given us the power to do it. The power to, res to turn the other cheek. The power love those who don't love us. He says, we only love those who love us. So we are different than the, the, the tax collectors were known for their, openly known for their sin, of greed and cheating and so forth. There's not doing it. They do that too. People of the world love those who love them. Most of the time. Not all the time, but it's a natural thing that is in human nature. We love those who love us and hate those who hate us. And Jesus said, you have heard of old. Because the Old Testament teaches us something different. The first covenant. But Jesus is not teaching us the, the law, the old covenant. He's teaching, he's beginning to teach here the teachings of the new covenant. And as it says in the book of Jeremiah, the new covenant would not be like the old Moses received on sign. And that's where many Christians can get confused. Because the Old Testament 
David kills Goliath. Israel goes into Canaan and wipes out all the, the heathen Canaanite nations in the promised land. But we understand that was the first covenant. But in the new covenant comes new teaching, new way of life, a new creation. It's different than the first. And so we walk in the new covenant with the Lord. And he gives us the power as we read things like the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus, and there's so much more that we're not going to get into today. But as we read these things, you know, it's not a matter of whether we're able to do that or not, but because he's given us the power to live what he's commanding us, commanding us, not asking us, commanding us. He's our Lord and Master. But it becomes a decision whether to live for ourselves or for him who died and rose again from the dead for us. So that's our decision every day. Now that's what I have to share for you, your brothers. Want to comment on that or anything else? We have like uh, 20 minutes. So, yeah. brothers, want to share anything or teach anything else? Start us with ministry of the word. Bestowed upon us. Behold, that's like take time to think about it, consider it, to uh, really think about how much God really does love us, how much He really has done to make that known to us. He sent His Son into the world. He sent Jesus because, in general, man didn't understand God. Uh, children of Israel, they uh, went through their time of being delivered out of Egypt and going through the wilderness and all their experience. I think, basically, you could say, in general, they thought God is too difficult. God expects too much. And um, there were two, Joshua and Caleb, who somehow understood something different. To me, it's a sad, a sad thing to realize that only two of all those 600,000 that came out of Egypt, only two seemed to understand and wanted to follow God. May God help us that we all want to follow God, young and old, all of us, because he's the only one who has something really for real to offer to us. Um, we see the chaos and confusion that is happening in our country today. People don't know God, and they look for what they can get out of this life, but there's something so far better than just what we can get out of this life that uh, it becomes dim what this life has to offer compared to the glory that is to be revealed. So I praise God that we can be called the sons of God. 
in truth. And this, I want to emphasize this part. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. That is, when we shall see him, we'll, we, we, we will be like him when we shall see him. And um, I think for me, I see, I need to see Jesus daily. I need to have that vision of Jesus daily because that's going to make me behave myself, isn't it? It's going to make me behave myself. It's going to make me love my wife as I should. It's going to make me be kind to my neighbors. It's going to make me live unselfishly because that's how he was. He was unselfish. He gave his very life. He gave everything. Although he he owned everything, yet he gave everything for us. So let us, as we go through life daily, let us keep this prayer in our heart. Lord, help me to see you for what you really are and help me to pursue that for myself because that's life. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And uh, for, for the most part, men don't think of life in that sense. They think of life as what you can get out of life here and this earth. But this is, if we, if we see this, what we're going to, and then we purify ourselves even as he is pure. How do we do that? We, we see in something written in Timothy, um, which is really the, the same thing. Chapter 4 of Timothy. First or second Timothy? First Timothy 4. First Timothy. Okay. First Timothy 4. He ends up with this chapter in verse 15 and 16. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. That is far more than being half-hearted. Lukewarm. Jesus talked about lukewarmness in, in uh, Revelations to the church, uh, the angel of the church of Laodicea. I think it was there. Mm -hmm. And anyhow, give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. You know, most people want to have it good, don't they? Nope, nobody wants to have a bad life. <laughs> we want to have it good. We want to be able to have a nice time together. We don't want to backbite each other. And, you know, we don't want this... Uh, what does it say in Hebrew? Lest the root of bitterness spring up and many be defiled. That can come so in a sneaking way, and all of a sudden, what happened? I have to think of something that uh, I experienced one time. I had this man from New Jersey. 
He was a a man from Nicaragua that married a Puerto Rican lady, and I became friends with them. And I, but he he uh, she was a Christian, and he had been a Christian, but fell back into drugs, heroin, and um, so. I took him to Delaware, and we had him there for a period of time. He he stopped his heroin use. He you call it cold turkey, you know. He just he he threw up. He was so sick, but he was determined. He's not going to do this anymore. I felt so sorry for him what he was going through, but he. He won the victory, and then I took him, one day I took him back to, he had three children, and him and his wife, and, and his home, I took him there, and she said, Dan, that's the man I got married to. He looked so different to her now, he was like not, not the same, but then something happened. That's what I want to say this, because so quick something can happen. Uh, then he told his daughter to do something, and she paid no attention to him. And that anger came up, and he began to shout and make demands on her. And she looked at me and said, Dan, what happened? She was so disappointed. She thought now he came back clean. But that's how human life is. If we're not careful, it can happen just like that. Um, I praise God today that this man finally came through. But what happened after I took him back, he, he ended up back there in his environment, got back into heroin, started selling drugs again, and he got arrested. He was in prison. I went to visit him in prison. And uh, then when he, they released him, they sent him back to Nicaragua. His wife went down, but she said, I can't live there. I can't live in that environment. It's too terrible. But he lived there, and uh, in the last words I got, I got, got to know his two sisters that live in Camden. They said, he is a totally changed man now, <laughs> totally different. And he called me many times, wanting me to come down there, down to Nicaragua. Hmm. But I never got to go there yet. I said I'll try to come with one of your sisters or whatever and go down and visit him. And I, I still have that in my heart. I'd love to see him again. Mm, yeah. His name is Robert Mendes. Uh, Roberto. Anyhow, it's just an example of life. How it can come on bonus, you know, different things. But he, when he was Free from this heroin at my house, he was so zealous. He was really, really wholehearted for God. 
and uh, yet he lost it. But he came back. Praise God for that. So, and um, this word, take heed, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. So, take heed to how you behave and <coughs> the doctrine, the teaching. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So, this is what makes life so hopeful. If we really love Jesus, if we really want to give our all to him, we can't be half-hearted and just be a, how would you say, just be a normal Christian. Just have a, this testimony, I, I have given my heart to Jesus. Uh, he has forgiven me and I'm on my way to heaven and, and uh, then your behavior and the, the way you act doesn't, doesn't really represent that. We have a hope in our hearts. I don't know if you know, is that a song that we used to sing with Smithson? There's many good songs that I've learned from them, and uh, I, I would be happy to help you learn them. Anyhow, let us provoke one another to love and good works. That's what it says in Hebrews, provoke one another to love and good works. By taking things in the right way, by doing what Jesus tells us is to provoke others to lay hold of it too. Hey, that's what I want. That's what I've been praying for. Let, don't give up. That's what happens to many people who give up. They settle for something less than they need to. So we have a heavenly calling, a high and holy calling. God says, be ye holy for unholy. Holy means, uh, the best I can understand it is to be pure, to be free from sin. If you're sinful, you're not holy. So God bless all of us with that as our goal. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> morning I'd like to begin by reading from the Gospel of Mark chapter 6 Passes we've read many times. We'll talk a few minutes. Beginning of verse 1, Mark 6 1. And he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. 
And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Jude, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? But they were offended at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, and among his own relatives and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled, or he was astonished, because of their unbelief. This morning I want to talk about unbelief and what it leads to. Jesus came back to his hometown, hometown of Nazareth. I guess this was a synagogue he grew up in. They knew him very well. And they heard the stories about him. And now he comes and they, they begin to hear his words. And instead of rejoicing, you know, and making him the hometown hero, <laughs> or something like that, like they do with many other things, they're offended with him. And it talked about uh, that Jesus was astonished at their unbelief. He was he marveled. He was amazed at their unbelief. And I heard something that was equally amazing this week. I was listening to an audio book while I was at work, with my head, my ear jack, and uh, while I was working, and it was a preacher from the 1800s, and he was a famous preacher. And he would go, and he would do conferences and everything. And this particular conference was a pastoral conference. In other words, it was a bunch of pastors there that he was going to preach to. And so he asked in the beginning of the of the conference, he asked, "How many of you brothers, honestly now before God?" Spend one hour a day in prayer. And he said, nobody raised them. Then he started to whittle it down. He said, well, how about a half an hour? And he saw one or two hands here or there. That's it. And then he said, okay, well, how about five minutes every day? And he said, there was a few more hands. And this is the, this, he said, and these are the brothers, these are the leaders of churches. And he said he was astonished at that. And what he called a prayerless spirit. And what's at the root of that? You know, and that's what we want to explore today. What is causes men and women of God not to pray? Way they ought to. Not to be committed to regular everyday prayer. You know? We sing that hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. But then, boy, we can make excuses to whittle that down. And here you are, leaders of churches, not committed to regular prayer. And you, it's, it's <coughs> astonishing. Not <coughs> condemning anybody, but it's, again, astonishing. <coughs> That something like this is real. And I think that each of us can confess that we've gone through our deserts too. 
times of having a prayerless spirit. But we have to get out of that. We can't stay in that place. The Bible talks about it as being one of the parts of our armor. Full armor of God. To be able to stand up against the wiles, the schemes of the evil one. Why don't we pray the way we ought to? So from there I want to go all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis. Chapter 3. And we begin to see the very root of the prayerless spirit. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. This is, of course, the sin of Adam and Eve. So when... The woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took the fruit and ate it, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate it. The eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And that's the question. Where are we? Where are we at spiritually? These are people who had a relationship with God. But when they sinned, and that sinful nature is an enmity with God. And you see that right here from the very beginning. It is the flesh, our human nature, that keeps us and at enmity with God. And as a Christian, we have to understand that and deal with the real issues. Because we've been given authority over the flesh. We've been given power to subdue and control and to put to death, and to crucify that nature. Because that's the nature that is at enmity with God from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. You know, not coming to God. Staying away from God. And here God is. The privilege of the children of God to become His children, and Him to be our Father. And here we are, staying away from Him. Prayer is not just calling on God for the things that we need, certainly part of it. But it's much greater than that. A prayer life is a life of communication with God. We're par- we are parents. Can you imagine the experience of having children who don't want to talk to us? who don't want to be around us, who like to stay away from us. It's not a pleasant feeling. But yet we can be treating our Father like that and not coming to Him. He desires that. You see in that 
story of the prodigal son. That, that son that's away, he comes back, the father comes charging after him and hugs him and embraces him and celebrates. And all of heaven celebrates. These are the words of Jesus. God desires to have a father-son, father-daughter relationship with each of us. What is keeping us who are in Christ from it? That old man, that old nature. Our selfish ambitions, cares of this life, desires for many things, the busyness of life. It's all out there, more and more. And so, God wants us, like the prodigal, to come back. Get away from all that. Get out of that place and come back to me. And spend time with me. This is what I want. Isn't that what we want to do with our children if we're a good father? We want to have time with our children. And you don't want them to just ignore us and accept that they want something. Hey, Dad, can I have the keys to the car? Thanks. See you later. And that's, a, that's, that's a relationship. No, it's not a relationship. It's not a real relationship. The Father wants us to come to Him and to embrace who He is and to draw close to Him. As Jesus says, we talked last week, Jesus said, Come to me if you're thirsty. If we're thirsty for that father-son relationship, if we're thirsty to know Him, Come to him, and he says, "There's going to be a river that flows through you, through through it flows out of you." He's going to fill us with his spirit. That's how it happens. It's not rocket science. We come to him, and we find our relationship with him that way. God so loved us that he gave his own son. How much more, he says, will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Him? How much more? Will He bless us in a relationship with Him as we draw close to Him? That's what He's waiting for. Draw close to God and God will draw close to us. He's waiting on us. Waiting for us to come to Him in a, prayer, in a prayerful relationship. And to know Him. It's a lot more than getting what we need from Him. And getting what we want from Him. It's not Santa Claus. It's much bigger than that. We have the privilege, the opportunity to come into a relationship with not just someone who loves us, but someone who loves us, gave himself for us, gave his son for us, and oh, by the way, he created everything. And he's promised us not only eternal life, but eternal life with, in mansions with Him, to spend eternity with Him, this great God who loves us, and to be like Him. We read this morning. We don't know what we'll be, but we know that we'll be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. What privilege, what honor. The God, that, that great God, that loving God, is going to take us to be with Him forever. Fear not, little flock. It is Father's good pleasure 
to give you the kingdom. What kingdom? His kingdom. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. I mean, it's just laid out there. So then why, why are we reluctant? What's going on? Why are we reluctant? And we come to Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse... Uh, four. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is an enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. This reveals to us the nature of our problem. When we're carnally minded, the things of God, the things of the Spirit, become strange to us. We begin to lack understanding about these things. We harden our hearts. The great blessing that we can have in coming to, if we really see it, and we really embrace it, we're going to want to come to Him. But there's an unbelief. And that unbelief comes from the carnal mind. We have a promise of life to forever with the Lord. This is just a time that we're passing through as pilgrims and strangers in the earth. This is We have no continuing place here. This is temporary. We set our, high, our mind... Not on earthly things, but on heavenly things. That's the spiritual mind. But if our mind is set on earthly things, then we're going to have a problem. Then we're not going to understand the blessing and the comfort and the wisdom of coming to the Lord and spending time with Him. Let's make a commitment. An hour a day. Let's do that. Just alone with Him. An hour a day. When we get up in the morning, or we go to bed at night, whenever. Let's try. We're not sure. 
at all this. Because as we become spiritually minded, we begin our eyes are open. That this is this is God's way. Having a relationship with Him and drawing close to Him in prayer. Why aren't all these leaders of churches doing that? It's a deception of the human nature, the natural mind, the old man. It's a deception. And it is so easy for us to fall into it. I don't think there's anybody here who hasn't experienced it who's been a Christian for a while. And the answer is to be spiritually minded and to find that life, that living Christian life that Jesus talked about, the abundant life. I have come to give you life and that more abundantly. A spiritual life. It's not for Him. It's for us. He's doing this for us. Of course He wants a relationship with us. Of course He loves us. But it's us who gets the benefit of all that. The privilege of the children of God. The people who are not the children of God don't have this privilege. They don't have this right. They may throw out prayers to a God of their own understanding. But it is to the God, the true God, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the God that if we become His children, we have a privilege that is amazing and powerful, that we can come to Him with our burdens every day. That's a privilege. That's not a task. That's not a job. It's not an obligation. It's well beyond that. It's a privilege and a blessing to come to our Father every day and to be in His presence. What do you think we're going to do when we get there? You'll see him as he is. <clears throat> the carnal mind is at enmity against God. Of course, the enemy of our soul, the devil... Is also trying to distract us, doing every kind of exercise, every kind of jumping jacks he can to, to divert us and to distract our attention away from these truths. Every kind of distraction you can imagine. And sometimes you just have to shut that phone off and turn off whatever media, whatever distractions get alone. I think that we can make a lot of excuses for why we don't have that kind of time. But I think that a lot of that stuff is lesser things. Some of those things are real. But again, if we come to the Lord, remember, it's not just us desiring to be, to be in contact with Him and to be filled with His Spirit, He desires that also. And He desires to help us. And so, 
When we read later in chapter 8 of Romans, he says, in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we should pray as we ought to. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. We just bring our burden to the Lord, and we don't know how to pray the way we should. But we have a helper if we're in Christ. The helper is the Spirit of God himself, the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us. And that Spirit of God is praying with us as a helper. Jesus called him our helper and our comforter and our guide to help us in prayer, to guide us in our prayers, and to pray along with us to the Father, but according to the will of God. We don't always know what the will of God is. The Holy Spirit does, because He's God too. And so He intercedes to the Father, it says. In verse 27, Now He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He, the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Holy Spirit, our helper, in presenting our prayers. We present them as best we can, but we have a prayer partner, a most powerful prayer partner, the Spirit of God, presenting our prayers to the Father according to God's will. And it says... Also, in verse 34, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who is making intercession for us. Another prayer partner, who is praying for us also. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father where he presented his blood the Father. And it is because of this blood that we have access to the throne of the Father. We can come boldly to the Father. The Bible tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace. Receive help and mercy for our time of need. We can come boldly through the blood of Jesus. We're feeling ashamed and and uh, unworthy. We just empty it all, confess our sins, repent, whatever we need to do. Through the blood of Jesus, we can come boldly, be cleansed and purified, and then we're clean and we can come boldly before the throne of grace. The word justified, as is mentioned in the book of Romans, I heard preachers saying, we could say it's just as if I'd never sinned. We can be cleansed completely, that God cast it in the sea of his forgetfulness, and he will remember our sins and our evil deeds no more. Justified. Accepted before God. Through the blood of Jesus. That's what it's all about. 
And then we can come boldly because we are, the, we are His children. And we are free. We are in a place of liberty. So finally, I had a few more thoughts I had written down. The Bible says to continue earnestly in prayer. We need God's help in that, the assistance of the Holy Spirit in that. And to put to death the flesh that's trying to resist us in this. This is something. We have to recognize our enemies. I remember one time these people were studying. This was back in the 60s. People were studying all the things about the Russians and everything. Back that time, the Russians were enemies to the United States. So why are you studying you know, your enemies like that? So we've got to know what they're up to. We've got to know what they're about. We have to know what our enemies are up to. And the enemies of our soul, the Bible talks about the devil, but also our human nature, the flesh, is in resistance. It doesn't understand the things of God. That's why the Bible tells us to crucify, to bring it to the cross and deaden it. We also read in Romans 8, it says, if we live after the flesh, we will die. But if we, through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh, we will live. And that's our obligation, it says in there. That's our exhortation to us. That flesh that's resisting us, resisting us going to prayer, resisting us getting to know our Father, resisting us having that right and, and that joyful relationship, that abundant life with Him, we got to crucify that. we got to put that to death. It's resisting us. Continue earnestly in prayer. We read a couple weeks ago in the men's meeting in book of, the book of Acts. It says they devoted themselves to prayer. When you devote yourself to something, that means you're committed to it. Devotion. When we have devotion to something, we're committed to it. We're persistent in it. We're fervent in it. Persistent, the, the fervent, what's it saying uh, about Elijah and James? The something fervent prayer of the righteous man. Effective. The effective, thank you. The effective fervent prayer of the righteous man. Fervent, hot, compassionate, on fire. Peter says, using the word fervent, he says, the elements will, when, when the Lord destroys the heavens and the earth and creates a new heaven and the earth, it says the elements will melt with fervent heat. James talks about prayer being that way, fervent. Well, how do I get to that place? Crucify the flesh. And Jesus says, come to me and learn from me. Come to me. And we hear that call from that still, small voice. When we've been with Jesus, and when we're with Jesus, 
our life changes. And the peace of God that passes understanding overtakes us. Let the peace of God rule your heart. This message is not just for just certain ones, it's for everybody. To come to Christ. The cross of Jesus delivers from the prayerless spirit, from all the works of the flesh, from this resistance that resists us, that keeps us on the merry-go-round and keeps us from the life of prayer. You remember when Jesus cast out the money changers that were in the temple. You remember that story, right? He comes in there with a the whip cords and he drives out all the herds and the cattle. He turns over the all the money changers that are ripping the people off right in the temple. And he said, it is written from the Old Testament, he quotes, my house shall be called a house of prayer to all the nations. You have made it a den of thieves. So where is that house of prayer now? It's not in Jerusalem anymore. Where is that temple of God? The Bible tells us that we're the temple of God. The house of prayer. God has called us to be a house of prayer. So now it's time for us. It's time for us to take Turn over those things that are not right in our hearts. To drive out those things, not in our own strength, but by the Holy Spirit. Put to death those things that are not right in that temple. And to honor God in our hearts and our, and our body, and our minds and our spirit. To be separate, holy, and undefiled work of God. As God is at work in us, He calls us to work it out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to do and to will of this good pleasure. That's what I have to share. Any you brothers have anything else to comment on this or anything else uh, have we got like 15 minutes yet? Use it. I might read just something in Luke 18. Luke 18? Luke 18, yeah. It's just, uh, gives the support and encouragement on what you were talking about, prayer. And he, this is verse 1 I start reading, and he spake a parable unto them as the to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So, uh, by that, I can understand that the tendency is to lose heart and to faint. 
lose courage because you know we want to we want to see our prayers answered. But uh, it, he goes on and he says, "There was in the city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Um, you know, I heard I heard one share about that one time. He said, "Why does he compare God, in a sense, with such a evil man, the unjust uh, judge?" But <clears throat> you see, speedily to answer the prayer speedily. Uh, may not be like we think of speedily. <laughs> <laughs> because one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God has always our sanctification and deliverance in mind in all that he does. So if we withhold from instantly answering my prayer, he has something more in mind than that. So, but he does it as quickly as possible. I would say that. As quickly as it's safe to give me what I pray for. Or maybe first he wants to help me change my mind about what I'm praying for. Maybe he's saying, hey, that's not something you really need. One thing that it brings out is that we have a Father that loves us, like we heard. He, it's not just we have to beg and plead, and and it's so difficult to get attention, uh, get his attention and all that. No, he's very interested. He's very interested, not just that. Um, He answers my prayer, but also that I'm interested interested enough in my prayer that I give it uh, to God to teach me what I need to change, what I need to see, how I need to understand things, because maybe my prayer isn't perfect, you know. So, but the key is don't lose heart, don't give up. Don't throw up your hand and say, God never answers my prayers. I hear, I, uh, I heard people say that. Mm -hmm. I remember one time, I was in Camden, New Jersey. I was, I just came out from getting something to eat. 
And of course, when I went, when I went there, I usually made some sandwiches and took some sodas along to share with people. But then this man come walking across the street, came to me, hey, would you give me a few dollars? I get something to eat. I said, I have something for you. I'll give you a sandwich. And uh, I gave him a sandwich. And then I started talking to him about the Lord and how, you know, God can help us. He got so fiercely angry, he took the sandwich and he threw it in the trash. He never answered many prayer for me. He was so mad. Something really drastically happened to this man. He, but it's like we have to give up our will before God, not demand our rights or what we want, but let, let's open ourselves up to God. What is wrong with me, God? <laughs> What do you want to change so that my prayers are more in harmony with your will? So that it's not, you know, it says they that delight themselves in the Lord. Uh, um, delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Give you the desires of your heart. It's like that man, I think I shared this one time, that man I was working for, and uh, that was, um, what did they call that? SUV, Cadillac SUV. Escalade. Huh? Escalade. Escalade, yeah. Come come around the corner. He said, damn, that's what I want. And God said, if I delight myself in him, he will give me the desires of my heart. Wow. Uh, I saw through that one. <laughs> I saw through that one. I was like, delighting in the Lord is not delighting in that thing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But anyhow, we need to learn from God. There's so much to learn if we're willing. If we're willing to learn, he'll teach us what, where the true values are. What, if I delight myself in the Lord, he's going to show me what's really important in life. What is really the thing I need to make life good. It's not about all these earthly things. It's about a divine life, about being able to love when people hate me. Not well up inside and angry, <coughs> responding that way. But anyhow, if, let's not give up. Let's not lose heart. If things don't look right, let's keep going. Let's keep praying. Lord, what do you want me to change? <laughs> Something Leonard Ravenhill used to say was uh, that our spiritual life, you know, can in some ways be gauged by our prayer life. You know, are we, are we looking for opportunity to slip away and be alone with the Lord? Are we seeking after that and desiring that? Um, or are we... Is our prayer life is about attractive as a mouthful of sand, is what he would say. But um, I think it's true, though. I think um, we, if we look at our life and uh, reflect on how how much we desire to 
slip away and to be with the Lord, you know, and, and if we're not, um, it's an indication that there's something wrong, something wrong with our, our spiritual life. So back to where we started today with, with the unbelief, how can a whole group of leaders of the church, most of them, not be praying and having a regular prayer life? You think you would think that that would be just a natural thing to do, but it's not. Even no matter who you are, and no matter what your position in the church, it's not the natural thing to do to pray. And the spirit, it's a spiritual thing to do, not the natural. And what is at the root of it? Unbelief. Not believing that all the other things we're doing instead of that are less important than being alone with the Lord. It's a deception, a grand deception. And we have to fight that with everything in us. Crucify it, the Bible says. It's the flesh. Oh, I gotta do this first. Oh, I gotta do that first. Oh, I gotta do this. And after that, I gotta do that. And after that, I gotta do that. There's that. There's that merry-go-round. You know? I remember when Kate and I got married. One of the things when I got home, I, you know, she'd been with the kids all day. So why don't you take some time to be alone with the Lord? You know? And then sometimes, she, you know, on my day off, I'd have, you know, and then we would make, we would help each other out with that. Be considerate of each other's spiritual need to be able to, you know, so it's, there's, you can work it out. If there's a will, there's a way to do it. God will show you. Jesus was approached by his disciples and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And sometimes we don't know how to do this. You know, we don't know how to reorganize our life and reschedule it so that it's in proper priority. Lord, teach me. Come to the Lord. Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me how to get get close to you. Teach me these things. I know that's what you want. That's what I want too. Of course that's what the God of course that's what God the Father wants. If we want it, then we're in agreement with Him. Let's pray.